This is the way we talk in Tucson, Arizona. The Wrestling Life. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life, episode 356. This will drop on uh, late on the last day of November or early on the first day of December of 2023. I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. Liam, we have so much to talk about this week. And as always, so many things on the first and only wrestling podcast. So many things that we can't talk about. <laughs> yes, in fact. <laughs> uh, just to introduce ourselves for a any new listener, because uh, we know we have we have listener. Um, I think given the subject matter, we may have new listener this week. Mm-hmm. I am a uh, I'm an editor at uh, WrestlingObserver.com. I or F4WOnline.com. I uh, I'm more behind the scenes than uh than uh, anything else i'm an editor slash staff writer really liam uh what are your uh, wrestling pedigrees <laughs> well you've been hosting this show for almost 10 years that's true that's that that would have yeah, yeah. In, the, in the commentating side of on our commentary of wrestling i have been co-hosting this show with you for a decade and uh yeah i i think we 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 don't do a lot of like we're, sports yell or like just trying to take another side just to argue with each other about it. I think we're pretty good at just maybe approaching issues that get discussed a lot and saying something that no one else has said so far. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, uh, Charles Montgomery Punk has returned to the World Wrestling Federation. They went and did the damn thing. Uh, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I said I was 51% sure he was coming back to the WWE and 49% sure he wasn't. And uh, then if you had asked me the same question the day of Survivor Series, I would have been like, yeah, 10% chance he shows up. <laughs> and then the show ends, and then they did the uh, the Triple H trademark of show the uh, show end graphic. And then the show continued with uh, Living Color, uh, Cult Personality Hitting, and the Allstate Arena in uh, Rosemont, Illinois, or Hoffman Estates, Illinois, just just goes insane. Uh, Wow. All-time pop, all-time moment, all-time fan service moment, no matter how this plays out. And uh, something I'm not sure a uh, previous iteration of WWE would have done. What did you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as just the moment itself, we can start there. Uh, it, it was incredible as we'll, we'll, we can talk about in a minute. They went ahead and announced that it was Randy Orton. And that was going to be the fifth guy in the war games ahead of time. Uh, seemingly to head off at the past, the idea of having a surprise guy in Chicago, and, you know, the disappointment that might have been felt if it wasn't CM Punk, although people were very happy to see Randy Orton. I don't think I don't think there would there might have been some punk chance, but I don't think people would have been horrifically disappointed with Randy Orton after his, his being away for 18 months or whatever. But uh, yeah, as a moment, it's on the short list, certainly in the modern era, at least of the loudest crowd reactions I've ever heard. Um, can only imagine what it sounded like in the building. And uh, it, was a, it was a good moment. He he physically looked, uh, uh, well, on Saturday, at least, he looked good. He, he looked, looked amazing. He looked very healthy. He got himself a good haircut. Uh, you know, looked rested, looked like he'd been really hitting the gym. Maybe put a little shoe polish in that hair. A little bit. Less, uh, yeah, less, less gray in the beard than perhaps the last couple times we saw him. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a great moment and, uh, you would never guess that this man was on national television three months ago from the way this crowd reacted to him. <laughs> like it, it, uh, it was a big effing deal to say the least, whether you, uh, whether you love the guy, whether you don't like the guy, 
it was a big deal and it was a it was a moment a the the type of moment that wwe is really good at pulling off still um and it also i think that 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 night very much had the vibe we talked about this off the air ironically of recreating the adam cole brian danielson double debut where you get the big pop for the guy coming out and fans think that's that's it the show's over and then the second guy comes out and it's an even bigger reaction um and it and it's a moment of as you said um moving forward into the fan service aspect of it it is a moment where like i said i don't think wwe would have disappointed a lot of people by just producing randy orton but they also were like, we're going to make sure no one's disappointed by getting CM Punk in Chicago. So even that 5% of our audience that might be a little bit bummed out if he doesn't, if he isn't there tonight are going to be really jazzed about this show and about, and about, uh, you know, watching raw on Monday and in an era where right now the, the raw TV rights are, very important to this company um bringing two two big names back is it the timing couldn't have been better for the company from a business standpoint to bring him back and as you said and as a moment of rewarding fans trust and showing the fans that hey if you ask us for something and you make it clear that you want it bad enough we'll do it which again was not something that existed under the previous <laughs> WWE regime. And we know that for a fact because of the two previous times that CM Punk tried to come back to WWE in the last couple of years <laughs> and was told no uh, because the other guy was still in charge. So, and while well, the one time he was still under contract to the other place, but uh, we know he tried to come back in 2019 and was, and Fox tried to get him back and and Vince McMahon flat out said no anybody but him yeah and we know he at least once possibly tried twice tried to get out of his AEW deal to come into WWE within the last year and uh did not succeed uh at first <laughs> but he's a very determined man and he found a way to get out of that AEW contract and now here he is he is, in his own words, he is home. <laughs> so he uh, he just showed up at uh, at the pay per view on Saturday, and then he was announced for Raw in Nashville on Monday, and he closed the show. Mm-hmm. Bruce Pritchard ran Raw because Triple H and Nick Khan were off negotiating for the uh, the Raw TV rights renewal deal, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a Randy Orton Dominic Mysterio match that uh, someone managed to get out to the press. Went ran long. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard mistimed the show, <laughs> and so CM Punk hit the ring with about I don't know seven minutes left on the air, something like mm-hmm. that, on Monday Night Raw, and uh, they held him off until the very end of the three-hour slog that is Raw every week. <laughs> Not even a bad show. It's just a dull show yeah. because they have two hours worth of content that they stretch over three hours, and they somehow still can't time the show properly. But mm-hmm. So Puck comes out, and uh, maybe for the first time in his life, didn't deliver on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what did you think of his promo? Yeah, so I I think I said this to you off the air. Um, I think I may have said it on Twitter as well. Um, it's a testament to his uh, his relationship with the audience uh, and to his personal uh, ability that he could deliver a promo that I thought was completely devoid of any substance and still have the crowd going as wild as it was. Um, But yeah, as a promo, uh, he came back and he told some lies. (laughs) (laughs) He said he's happy to be back. 
He called the WWE <laughs> home. He said everyone in the back is happy to see him. And, uh, well, the fun's just beginning. Uh, the only true thing he said is when he dropped the mic and they played his music and he looked into the camera and said he was there not to make friends, but to make money. I was like, okay, that I believe. <laughs> yes. That's so, our guy. There's the guy I know. <laughs> So he delivered a uh, watered down version of his AEW return promo. Mm -hmm. Really? Right. Except with the only difference being he did manage to work in AG Lee uh, to this promo. His wife, his wife's name. He did give the audience something that he had not given them before. And uh, fans are uh, fans love his wife. And uh Fans are very excited at the prospect of his wife maybe coming back for a shot here or there. And uh, fans are really looking forward to that. Um, as for what he said, he didn't really say anything. Uh, the night before at a house show, they had, well, we could talk as he debuted, Seth Rollins was uh, acting at Survivor Series <laughs> and uh, off camera, not even on, not even on TV. This didn't make TV. Seth Rollins was throwing a fit and Corey Graves and Michael Cole, the great thespians that they were, were <laughs> holding him back from attacking CM Punk. And then the next night at a house show, Rollins goes on and says, you know, I'm not going to waste any time talking about a guy who tried to tear this place down. He hasn't been here for the last nine years. I want to talk and spend my time on guys who have made this the hottest ticket in town. And so very clearly, work shoot stuff was all over the place mm -hmm. uh, as Punk debuted. Building off of previous uh, press comments that Seth Rollins has made, whether he was always working or that was actually how he felt at the time. Right. Um, yeah, he had previously referred to Punk as a cancer and said he didn't want him coming in. And I think he had kind of walked that back a little bit at, at some point on a podcast or something and said, that, like, look, if the guy comes in, we can make money with them. Great. Like that was kind of his, his final word on it. And now they're obviously playing, playing it up because it was right. at least at some point seemed to be some real animosity there. And that's fine. That's yeah. wonderful <laughs> to everyone who was uh, convinced that Seth was really upset. Uh, do you really think that a multi, multi, multi-millionaire who's married top guy there, who's married to another multi, multi, multi-millionaire top guy there? who travels the country by luxury bus and has like three homes and a family and millions and millions of dollars. Do you think he's really that upset that he's going to have to see uh, one bill fill once a week at most? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm and, guessing that he and Becky probably have their own space. <laughs> like, right. I guess so it's not like, not like he, him and Phil are sharing a locker room is what I'm saying. I'm sure Phil has his own space too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and everybody has their own dressing rooms and you have to see the guy for 15 minutes while you work over your promo segment or you lay out your match mm -hmm. or whatever. We've all, <laughs> we all have worked with people we don't like, and we've probably had to spend a lot more than 15 minutes <laughs> in a room with them. Sure. And we probably have done it for a lot less money. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Um, I mean, even even as contentious as things got in AEW, like Punk and Moxley clearly didn't like each other. And they managed to have, you know, th a month of brawls and and two matches with each other. So, yeah, it, it can be done, believe it or not. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think everyone's a little bit. People want it. People want it. <laughs> they want to believe. I understand. But let's be realistic. <laughs> no, the one that I felt like more raised my eyebrows a little bit more based on the fact that he has not re-signed his deal was the word that that Drew McIntyre basically silently walked back, stormed backstage, got his stuff and left without talking to anyone. That yeah. was the other hot ticket. Although they again, they've had him mentioning it on the on that house show on Sunday and on Raw on Monday. So it's okay. And it's okay, by the way. You you can do this stuff and make it part of the show. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. yeah. It shouldn't be the main thing on the show. Agreed. 
Um, and it also shouldn't be like, I'm mad at you because you're making my fake wrestling matches harder to do or whatever. Right. You know, it, yeah. like it, when it gets too worked shooty, as we've talked about for years, it, it it's bad always. But just having it be, oh, these two guys just effing hate Phil and don't want him there. Okay. A lot of people don't like Phil and don't want to work with him. It's very relatable, <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, especially to their fellow wrestlers. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, they've got some they've got some options for whoever they're going to pair him with. But obviously, Seth is the the first big opponent for for Phil. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And uh, then there's uh, also a word has trickled out here this week that. CM Punk and Steve Austin for WrestleMania has at least been discussed. Now, who's discussed that? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think Steve is in a place in his life where he wants to do a lot of matches, but uh, seeing how he's done one in the last 20 years, (laughs) and it was against a a guy he liked in Kevin Owens and in his home state and he got to drink beer in the ring with his brother afterwards mm-hmm. it seems like a pretty special circumstance when he headlined uh the wrestlemania in dallas uh in 22 i guess and they also didn't announce that it was a match until it was happening <laughs> exactly yes a uh, little bit different circumstances it feels like not that he doesn't like punk i'm sure they respect each other i'm sure he likes him fine he gets gets along with everybody and uh would be willing to do something with him, but as far as a match, I don't know. Kevin Owens has got to be just seething somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, he got to do it first, so That's right. Uh, I would, I would just say for people like everyone remembers the WWE 2K <laughs> sit down where they tease this match. Like ten, I won't say everybody remembers, but a lot of people. Uh, remember that because it was a good uh, it was a good piece of business that never went anywhere of, uh, sure. of them you know talking about the generational clash which was sort of the pitch for the video game that year um uh, and austin was like the most in character he'd been in 10 years right doing it um but i think if you go back and this is not a in any way a criticism of 50 something year old Steve Austin who hadn't wrestled in 20 years, not at all a critique of him as a worker, but like Kevin Owens is doing like 90% (laughs) of that. Like as far as like creating movement and urgency and taking the bumps, like Steve doesn't do nothing. He takes like a suit. He does like a suplex on the floor and, and one or two things. He does take some bumps, but like that is a, that is, no pun intended. That is the Kevin Owens show. That match. Steve looked like an almost sixty-year-old man who Correct. had to sacrifice a lot of cardio to be able to put on that kind of muscle at that age. Right. And that again, I'm not in any way knocking. You. I'm just pointing Which out. You that would like, expect. Right. <laughs> My point is, I don't think Punk can bump and move the way that Owens moved that night to get a passable match out of steve but maybe i'm wrong punk is also closing in of 45 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> was never a great athlete correct and has a lot of wear and tear on his body he also gets hurt practically <laughs> every time he wrestles now yeah <laughs> so there's that yeah it doesn't sound great doesn't sound great but the promos would be good so i don't know randy orton came back at survivor series uh, the ba- both babyface teams won the war games matches, and uh, they didn't do the big horseman beatdown on Bailey, but uh, looks like we're headed that way. Maybe on SmackDown this Friday, mm-hmm. uh, Damage Control is going to kick Bailey out, and uh, Bailey's going to go babyface again. That's that's fun. It's been a long time since that happened. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the war games matches? Uh, I thought both were very good. Um, the women's match a little backwards because the baby faces had the advantage. But uh, once you get to the point where everybody's in the ring, it was really good. And uh, you got 
EO doing a redux of her famous NXT spot where she jumped off the roof with the trash can. And uh, that didn't seem that dangerous uh, compared to when Charlotte did her moonsault and just need poor EO right in the face. If you watch that back, you can see it. <laughs> just... I mean, I, I, I noticed immediately that EO grabs her forehead. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, no, is she concussed? Like, did she hit her, hit the back of her head or something? But no, because she's up doing spots like a minute later. She just got she just got kneed directly in the forehead. So it's like the first time Charlotte's ever hit that moon salt, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she really hit it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a great. But it was uh, it was a good match. I liked I liked the women's match a lot. And then the, the main event, I didn't. There wasn't anything wrong with that match. I didn't think there was there wasn't as many memorable spots other than like Seth taking a razor's edge through a table. I thought was nuts. Um, I wouldn't take a razor's. I, I mean, I think anyone taking a razor's edge at all is kind of nuts because <laughs> at some point the guy's just kind of kind of if he's not doing it like Scott Hall did it where he guides you to the ground. If he's just picking you up by your arms and throwing you. It feels like a lot could go wrong with that but he's just launching you and throwing you on your brain (laughs) right (laughs) yeah it's like hernandez in tna did that the border toss or whatever that was that right he just chucked the guy and injured like three or four people doing it i'm pretty sure um but but yeah but so that i thought was nuts and then the ending where when orton made a save they were (laughs) this is one of those uh problems of their own making for the main yeah. event, which is that, well, we don't want to have Randy Orton come out, get a giant pop and then sit in the cage for 10 minutes. We want him. We want him. We don't want him to come out until it's time for him to be in the match. Right. Um, and to that, I would say um, you didn't have to book him in a war games match or sure. or do war games at all. Like this could have just been a traditional Survivor Series match. Could have just, you know, you didn't have to book him in this war games at all. He could have wrestled somebody else on the show. Uh, so, but it was smart. If you're, if you're, if you're under the confines of he has to be the fifth guy in this war games match, then they did it in a very smart way, which was they tease. He's not coming, even though everybody knows he's going to be there. And then when, uh, when Rhea comes down with Damien's briefcase and seemingly Damien's going to cash in, in the middle of the war games, uh, to win the title off of Seth uh, Orton's music hits and he comes down biggest you've ever seen him right like <laughs> this man was the size of a house he house. he looks like someone had inflated him yeah <laughs> enormous but he can he can still all do all his signature Randy Orton stuff and he was uh, he was real jazzed and they timed the finish of them throwing uh, that creepy little bastard JD McDonough off the <laughs> off the top of the cell, and him catching him in the RKO uh, perfectly. So um, yeah, you got the big moment, you got the big RKO, and then as we already talked about, you had the the insane reaction for the post match with Punk debuting. So yeah, um, Randy, they definitely made Randy like the other cornerstone of that Raw, kicking off the show in the first hour. And then uh, and then wrestling in hour three. So they were really trying to keep that third hour up this week. Yep. So uh, with Randy, it felt to me I didn't even think about the thing about uh, having him come out and stand in the aquarium for 10 minutes while (laughs) or a half hour while they did spots uh, and blowing that pop. I was just thinking of they are trying to save a big pop so that the crowd will pop big at the end when there's no punk, they won't be disappointed. <laughs> I thought they were really trying to, to they kind of outthought themselves. I see. And when in fair, fact, when Randy didn't come out, there were punk chants. So, yeah, well, then, well, that's where I was like, OK, well, they really outthought themselves mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. because they were trying to uh, get out ahead of those. And instead, they incited them. When you thought that, okay, well, Punk's going to replace him in the match. And uh, it turns out I was wrong. And um, and that I think it was just they didn't want him standing out there in the aquarium for a half hour. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whatever. Either yeah. way, either way, they put a lot of thought into how Randy was going to re-debut. <laughs> That's right. And he's 
for the time being, at least he's, he's slapping fives, signing autographs in the row. Like he's a, like he's a Von Eric in the sportatorium. Like he's, he's kissing babies, mm-hmm. he's he's... signing autographs for children. That's right. He's a hap- <laughs> the happiest, happiest you've ever seen Randy Orton. And uh, they've slid him into the guy who feuds with judgment day. And they've moved Cody over to a Nakamura feud. So that that would appear to be Randy's creative for the next month, at least, is guy who works tags against the Judgment Day. Hey, we're killing time now until the end of January. <laughs> we got eight weeks now where nothing's going to happen on these shows. <laughs> uh, there's no December pay-per-view. Uh, it's, it's I don't know. It's interesting. I also think that our thought that uh, Nakamura's promos that everyone thought was for CM Punk over the last month to six weeks or whatever. I thought that was leading to AJ Styles coming back. I thought Nakamura was going to go after AJ Styles again. And uh, we're still waiting for AJ to come back. So uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe you save him for the Rumble then, since you didn't save Randy or Punk for the Rumble. (laughs) Maybe so. Uh, Another funny thing about Randy is he's a 45-year-old man who uh, his doctor apparently told him to retire and uh, he's under contract for like five more years. So he's <laughs> not going to retire for several million dollars a year. So he's not going to retire. No. And in his own words, I will keep doing this for as long as I am allowed or, or whatever he said when he came out on, on raw on Monday. Yeah. He told the crowd in Chicago, 10 more years, Yeah, <laughs> uh, which really sounded like a threat, but uh, Randy's got the, he has, as we've touched on, he was absolutely gigantic. Uh, and he has that that physique that always sets off alarm bells for me, where it's like, I don't know what's possible in this day and age with science and sports science, but <laughs> my old tell for ones whether or not someone's physique was was artificial or <laughs> just through uh, just through good old blood, sweat and tears was uh you could either be really big or you could be really cut, but you couldn't be absolutely action figure gigantic and absolutely bodybuilder cut. Right. <laughs> and Randy was giant and cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey, good for him. I'm sure he's working hard. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Michael Cole and Wade Barrett on Raw were then talking about how Orton was just saying, look, I don't lift heavy anymore. I've had double back fusion surgery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do a lot of reps, very lightweights. It's like, okay, bud. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> He's got to be working out like four hours a day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks to your point like he looks like he's on like the like like a Chris Hemsworth like <laughs> Marvel movie diet where sure. you're 240 pounds, but you're also have a nine pack like yes, like it doesn't really add up for anyone unless you're just constantly like working out constantly eating nothing but like steamed chicken and broccoli and also uh <laughs> taking anabolic steroids but uh and also just like you know dehydrating yourself uh um i don't know i yeah you worry about a guy as we've seen with certain wrestlers of different eras when you're carrying around that much muscle mass at that age when you've already had back and knee or or shoulder issues um you don't tend to get less injured as you get older in a uh (laughs) in a physically demanding profession such as wrestling. So uh, we'll see. Hope he's hope he's healthy. And to hey, 18 months off, it did feel weirdly fresh and exciting to see Randy Orton on <laughs> Raw. So you the know, first time in 20 years. <laughs> it took like if yeah, it took it took it took 18 months of him being gone, but it was nice to see him. <laughs> nice to see him back. So uh, the Orton and Punk returns led to, I think, the best overall rating for Raw since the show after SummerSlam and the best demo rating since the show after WrestleMania. So uh, people were intrigued to watch that program on the USA Network this week. 
yeah, third hour still dropped a little, but not the way it has. And it, it held up pretty well, like on, on average. And I mean, if you're on the punk side, like they, they really threw him to the wo- the wolves as far as being like, all right, can you retain this audience? Um, Cause it was a giant audience at, at the open of the show with the Orton promo. Um, so it's like, and they, they held up pretty well doing the doing the Orton match and the Punk promo back to back seemed to uh, seem to retain the audience at a, at least at a higher rate than that normal third hour that just craters. So uh, yeah, in a time where, as you mentioned, Paul and Nick are in uh, in L.A. negotiating TV rights, it's a it's a good time to have a couple of of big stars returning to your show. Remember uh, a couple of months ago, there was a photo of uh, Triple H sitting next to Jeff Bezos at like uh, a fashion show. That's right. And, Ma- and Maxine Dupree was walking in the fashion show. Uh huh. I think about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Paul's a single guy now. He can he can go wherever he wants. And visit Stephanie was it? Th- Stephanie was at Survivor Series. We don't know that he's a single guy. Mm. <laughs> Look, don't don't take this away from me. Okay. <laughs> she was there to drop off his stuff in a garbage bag. She was there to serve him papers. That's right. Like when uh who was it that got served papers at a at an awards show? There was a celebrity who got Oh, um Jason uh Sudeikis served Olivia Wilde, I think. That's right. That's that's what Stephanie was there to do. All right. That's fine. All right. Um, Mercedes Money is working out of the ring for the first time since she broke her ankle nine months ago. That's exciting. We believe she's a free agent. That's also exciting. And um, Bailey's going to need some friends coming up soon. Interesting timing. Uh, yeah, another... Anyone who is anything resembling a star who is not currently signed is going to is can and should make a lot of money in this next little bit of time between uh, WWE needing at this point still having at least their their flagship show up for uh, up for bids. And then obviously AEW stuff comes due next year. So got to do this all over again for them. Uh, So. Uh, good time to be a free agent with name recognition. And uh, we talked about it. She's going to go back someday. Like she kind of has right. to right. because they own her entire career with the exception of her, you know, her whatever indie stuff she did a little bit before she was signed. And then her, her few matches in, in Japan. Right. Um, and they would, they should, and they should want her back, not just because she's a good performer, but also because she's, part of their the real revolution you know revolution revolutionization is that a word <laughs> that's not a word no. Re- revolutionizing revitalization of women's wrestling in the united states she is too important to the real story of that and to the fake version that wwe tells <laughs> she is important to both of those versions so they should want her back quite a bit I think it's also an, another hallmark like with punk where Paul Levesque can put his stamp on it's a new era and whatever happened before with the old man and any other sex creeps that were here <laughs> that uh, have since been fired. It's going to be different if you come back under, under Papa Paul's umbrella. So that would be a big get for him. Um, and that's one of his original, like, you know NXT kids that uh, that uh, that he brought up and then Vince tinkered with <laughs> over the years. So uh, yeah, she would be a big get for them for a lot of reasons, and I would imagine she stands to make a lot of money, whatever she decides to do. Yeah, New Japan could use her, uh, but uh, they don't have a lot of money to spend right now. They're not doing well mm-hmm. at home, and God only knows what they're doing here in the United States. Uh they don't they don't have a good business plan. Uh they don't understand this market. They don't understand how they fit into it. 
and uh, I I don't know if if she does a few more matches there, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I also don't think it's a long term thing. So one of the other two, one of the two main TV promotions in this com- in this country is going to sign her. It's just a matter of when. Uh, speaking of New Japan, nothing going on there with uh, World Tag League. Who could possibly care? <laughs> uh, we're still over a month away from Wrestle Kingdom and the Tokyo Dome and uh, Okada and Danielson there. Um, WWE leaked to the Observer last week that they're interested in Okada. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nice Nick Khan leak there. <laughs> uh, we're open for business. Sure. Uh I guess, and the word is that the the selling point for to Okada would be, uh, you've done everything you can do in Japan. You can come over here, whole new challenge, much easier on your body. Uh, your old friend Nakamura is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's go. Let's make some money. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I I I don't know. Okada. Ha- is married and has a family now. I'm not sure if you want to uproot all that and move your family to Orlando or whatever, but right. I don't know. It depends what he wants out of life. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's 36, um, could probably make very good money. And if it doesn't work out, it's, it's what three, three years, three to five years, maybe. Right. Um, and then you go home if uh, <laughs> if you're not happy. So it seems somewhat low risk on his part. It would feel like, I think, uncharted territory in the sense that, like, obviously guys from New Japan have come to WWE, but none of them were the guy. <laughs> right. Or at least not anymore. Like Nakamura certainly had his time on top of New Japan, but he wasn't that guy anymore. Um, and AJ was a good, you know, was a top heel and was a world champion, but was not ever going to be the tippy top guy in that company. Uh, whereas Okada is still the boy king <laughs> of, uh, of New <laughs> Japan. Uh, and uh, it would be somewhat shocking, I think, just for that reason to see him while he is still, you would imagine, still has another four or five years of Tokyo Dome main events awaiting him if he stays to uh, to make the jump anytime soon. But again, for all the reasons we just mentioned, what else is there for him to do other than bullying all the young kids that are coming up? <laughs> they, they have been in a position with Okada, though, very much like WWE with Orton. And then he broke in so young mm-hmm. and he's been on top so long that they have to like program in down cycles for him. Yes. <laughs> so like this year is uh, is Naito's retirement, not retirement, retirement, but uh, Naito is going to get one last run as top guy. Mm-hmm. Just his age and his physical condition and everything circumstances seem to dictate that at 40 years old or whatever Tetsuya Naito's time for one more run with the world title is going to be this upcoming year right and so he's getting his gold watch at the Tokyo Dome and Okada is not going to be in that title picture at least and for another year or whatever, because it's Naito's turn. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying here. Okay, but yeah, but very much like Orton, they have had to kind of program in times where he's not going to be the guy because he broke in so young and he's been there so long. Mm-hmm. All right, AEW Continental Classic is going on been a tournament so far um all the tournaments i've seen this is certainly one of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh what do you think of it so far look it's it's a good excuse to just have good wrestling matches on the show so i i'm not complaining about that side of things and to see matches you don't get to see and people people i would really on paper have no interest in seeing wrestle 
like I thought Moxley and Jay Lethal had a very good match on uh, on uh, on on Dynamite this week, where it's just like Jay Lethal's a grappler and is doing uh, you know is wearing down Moxley's knee and leg and uh, and to get him in the figure four, and Moxley's just you know the guy who never says die and and won't uh, won't be denied. So I thought they had a good match. I liked the main event between Jay White and uh, and Swerve as well. Swerve's just a baby face now. We'll get to him in a minute. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, the, the match is wrong. I like Rush and uh, and Mark Briscoe. So as far as just putting together some matches that are just good wrestling matches or fun, interesting pairings um, like like Rush and Jay White last week or or Roosh and Mark Briscoe this week or whatever, I think it's doing its job. Does it feel on the level of a G1 or or any other like actual prestigious pro wrestling tournament? No. no not <laughs> even close. Not, not in a million years. Especially because it is now for... We didn't do a show the week after uh, Full Gear. So we haven't gotten a chance to talk about how this, this tournament, which was as far as we knew, just a tournament and the guy who won got a trophy or something. It's now uh, for the continental championship, which itself is a unification of the ring of honor and new Japan strong championships, which will then be unified with the winner of this, uh, this tournament, whoever wins this gets the ROH and new Japan strong belts which will then be unified into the continental belt. Do, am I, do I have this right? Well, I don't know because uh, every time Tony Khan has tried to explain this, it hasn't gone very well. And um, so he's like, well, it's creating a triple crown. This tournament, the winner tournament winner is creating effectively the first for the first time in North American wrestling, a triple crown champion mm-hmm. because the tournament winner will be the AEW continental champion, a new title. Mm-hmm. the ROH world champion and the new Japan strong open weight champion. And so everyone's like, so are those titles being folded into the continental? And he's like, no, they're being folded into the triple crown championship. And it's like, well, so the winner is going to be the triple crown champion. And he's like, yes. Mm-hmm. And, but they're also going to be the continental champion the ROH world champion and the, I don't know, man, it makes sense in his head and they've under explained it and done a poor job of explaining is the winner going to defend all three titles at once forever. What happens to the two? Is he going to carry three belts around? Right. Um, Is there, is he going to carry one triple crown belt around? I don't know. Right. I mean, new, not that it, not that I don't think New Japan cares very much about the strong championship, considering it's an AEW guy's had it for like a year, but uh, not a year. He's won it like in the summer, I think. But yeah, uh, the fact that New Japan hasn't addressed this, as far as I know, yeah, they haven't mentioned it at all, uh, would make me think that he'll be carrying three belts around, which will give New Japan a chance to like parachute out if they decide. They want that belt back. But it does raise the question. Okay, so next year in the Continental Classic, if the (laughs) same guy isn't holding all three belts anymore, do both champions... Like, okay, say Eddie Kingston loses the New Japan Strong Championship, but he still has the Continental and ROH belts. Does whoever wins the New Japan Strong title have to be in the Continental Classic next year because it's for all three belts? Like, it raises more questions when you... If you don't just unify all three belts into one belt. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> like, I know, is it, is it Noah or all Japan? Somebody did like, I know this is like invoking Japanese wrestling history. Right. But it's not a flavor that has been explained accurately uh, to me, on, uh, either by Tony Khan in that media scrum or on the some nine hours of television they've done since that pay-per-view. So, uh, correct. We'll see. I guess we'll see when when the wins, how many belts the guy gets presented with when when whoever wins the tournament. He'll be presented with three. What we don't know uh, <laughs> is how I guess, I guess we'll see in his first defense 
of the triple crown how how that works i believe so yeah okay all right so sometime in like late february we should have this all worked out yes all right sounds good the super frustrating thing about the media scrum to me is that people were trying to get clarification but none of them was acting asking the correct question <laughs> right and so everyone knew that there was some level of confusion but they weren't asking the magic question which is okay so the winner is going to be the roh world champion yes the winner is going to be the new japan strong champion yes the winner is going to be the aew continental champion yes what is the tournament winner going to be called the triple crown champion so this is effectively for the triple crown championship well no it's for <laughs> three championships I don't understand that. <laughs> and also just a clarification of, so the guy who wins this, is he defending all three belts all the Correct. time going forward? Correct. Or and, will he and defend? Maybe they don't know yet. And right. that's fine. And you could say that. I don't right. know. Oh, Lord. We'll see. We'll see. Help but us. <laughs> confusing results of tournament notwithstanding. Uh, like I said, there's been some good wrestling matches on uh, on on Dynamite and Collision in the last couple of weeks, and uh, that took up most of the show, which gives them less time to do, you know, wacky Roderick Strong vignettes and uh, and uh, and other lore related things. Roddy wasn't even on this week, was he? On yeah. uh, Dynamite, I don't think so. So they set up two other things in addition to. Uh... I assume there's going to be just continental classic matches every week on the show. They have only announced one thing officially so far for next week's dynamite, which is edge versus Christian. I mean, Adam Copeland versus Christian cage, the patriarch for the TNT championship rated our superstar, Adam Copeland versus the patriarch, Christian cage. Yes. Yes. Uh, edge versus Christian in, uh, 2023. Unreal. 50 year old uh, edge in his beanie and his leather vest over his t-shirt. Uh, Christian turned 51 today, right? I think so. Or did he turn 50? I forget. I don't know, but he dresses his age at least. It's true. Well, I'm not sure it's fair to say Edge isn't dressing his age because no one dresses like that. <laughs> Edge is dressing like a cool guy in his head. Yeah, right. With, uh, a beanie, with his toque and his uh, t-shirt and leather vest and uh, skinny jeans. That's right. Now, look, I forgot to mention this while we were talking about WWE, but this will be the week of me praising uh, wrestlers promos who I, whom I personally have no interest in ever seeing again <laughs> on my television. Uh, first off, I'd like to say I think Drew, Drew McIntyre's promo on Raw with Seth was very, very good. Um, I thought everything he went through of like trying to buddy up to Seth to get him to give him the match was good. And his explanation for why he feels like he failed the first time versus what he'll do differently this time. Sure. And then the and then he's like, all right, you know, you got to defend it against some other people first. That's fine. But Seth happened to pick the guy that Drew hates more than anyone which currently, which is Jey Uso. Yeah. So he and that just made Drew snap. I thought it was really well done, really well executed. And a really good job by Drew. I thought Drew cut the best promo on Raw on Monday. Wow. <laughs> including CM Punk and Randy Orton. I thought he cut the best promo of those three. And I also thought, uh, by and large, Edge's promo, Adam's promo on Collision last week, and his promo on Dynamite this week, including his uncensored use of the fuck word, uh, <laughs> was, uh, was uh, quite amusing and quite entertaining. And, it, you know, it's not really a match I have any interest in seeing, but I thought he did a really good job. And he and Christian both did a very good job in that segment um, to where if I if I didn't know that it was a 2023 edge match, I would actually probably be excited for it next week. And that's not nothing, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's a skilled craftsman uh, getting you interested in, in something you wouldn't otherwise be interested in correct uh yeah so christian and edge spent 10 minutes with the promo segment setting up a match they basically already announced but that's fine it was fi it, it was fine yeah you it's fine it's the the heel the heel is finally going to get his ass kicked his friends are gone and yeah. he's trying to worm his way out of it 
as his last yeah. attempt to appeal to Edge in the same way that Edge appealed to him when he first got there. Yes. So he tried to be a snake and then he tried to hit him with the belt, but uh, Edge foiled him. Mm-hmm. Uh, fine. Fine. Wonderful. Uh, so that got 10 minutes. MJF got a seven minute promo on Dynamite mm-hmm. uh, setting up a tag team match on next week's Dynamite between MJF and Smojo on one side and two of the Devil's Masked Goons on the other side. Although they haven't officially announced that yet because the new thing is we don't officially announce anything until the day the day before or the day of. Sure. But uh, so they spent there were 17 minutes of, of in-ring promo segments on the show, which is like nothing compared to a, a WWE show. But sure. the stopwatch people were out. And then uh, Britt Baker went on Twitter. And said, uh, so tonight on Dynamite, Christian got 10 minutes of promo, live promo time. Mm-hmm. MJF got seven minutes of live promo time. In all of 2023, I have had zero minutes of live promo time. Mm-hmm. Which, on one hand, I don't think anyone can argue that maybe they, there's been some promotional malpractice with how they've handled Britt Baker in 2023. Sure. On the other hand, maybe this complaint would mean more coming from someone who wasn't like the main character of AEW for the first four years of existence. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't think she's her, her uh, complaints are not unfounded. Um, And even before she's been off tv she's dealt with her own injuries they had kind of moved her into a side role and had made jamie hater the champion which at the time was the right move because jamie hater was the most over woman on that show at the time so i'm not saying it was wrong to move brit into a side role but they also actively chose to not break jamie and brit up after jamie won the title correct so Brit sort of was forced. That was a heel act that was sort of forced to turn into a babyface act. Right. Because they didn't do the turn. And then babyface sidekick is not a good role in this in this sport. Correct <laughs> for anyone. But um, yeah, so I can understand why she'd be frustrated. And then it seemed like they were going to do. I mean, they did in the first half of the year. She was paired with Adam Cole on screen a lot for reality show promotional purposes yeah and then the show was off the air and adam cole got hurt and we obviously like we said brit's been dealing with her own injuries she's been off tv so yes i do think she has reason to be frustrated i also don't think it's impossible that when all those masks come off if if in fact adam cole is the devil which i think he's still suspect number one um that she could be in that crew of people who hate MJF. Sure. Um, so this could be her genuinely expressing concern or also just shooting her own angle, laying her own groundwork for uh, what could be coming at, in the, the end of this year, the start of next year. So we'll see, but it was definitely something to, to look for. And I know it was like, it was like Jack Perry, Sammy Guevara, and Britt Baker were all liking the same tweets about how uh, MJF is tweeting about how he's going to restore the feeling uh, of uh, of old AEW, uh, which he stole from Daniel Garcia, and <laughs> and uh, and uh, and like all three of them liked the tweet of like, "Hey man, you're the reason why this show doesn't have that feeling anymore." So I think there's a good chance that like them and Wardlow are all in this in this group when the masks come off. So we'll see. It, it's it, it would be odd if someone who was um, has always had a spot on that show and his um, it's canon that she's friends with Tony Khan. <laughs> it would be odd for her to go rogue and just start uh, burying the company on social media. Right. For no for no reason. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. Uh MJF's hurt. 
Mm-hmm. Apparently still going to uh, defend the championship next month, this month, at the end of the year against uh, Samoa Joe. And uh, I guess we'll see how that uh, torn labrum or whatever it is uh, mm-hmm. plays out. He's also dislocated his hip. I thought that that elbow drop it full gear looked bad. <laughs> I mean, it looked good. It was right. a good elbow drop. But I thought, man, that's just jumping off the, the top rope and landing on the floor. That can't be good. And it There's wasn't. Re- reason people don't do that. <laughs> There's a reason they usually jump through the table. And obviously the table broke. So it's not <laughs> right. Like I commend him for being like, nope, got to do the spot anyway. But right. doing that and then doing the cut, the leaping cutter over the top rope to the floor. Yeah. Uh, and then the <laughs> the rock bottom off the top rope. Like he Max Max took some crazy bumps in that match uh, for Whatever you would say about his creative instincts, the 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 guy gives it his all, uh, and uh, is uh, showing the signs. So I guess that leads you to: uh, Should Joe just win the belt then? <laughs> like this, Mac for whatever this devil thing is. Does Max need to be the world champion for it to continue, or could he just could the devil cost him the match and unmask? As whoever it is, and then Max goes away and heals for a month or two and comes back as the vengeful baby face. I, it could be any number of a thousand things, really. Uh, I I don't think he needs to be the champion now, and he's hurt. And uh, Samoa Joe, though, you would think has other projects that he might need to work on. Sure, he has, he's on a Peacock show. He does voiceover work all the time for video games. Mm-hmm. I also I don't gets, know. Also had I mean he's been healthy for like a year now, but he also had a string of getting hurt <laughs> every other match for a while. He's also forty five years old. Worked in a an insanely physical style for twenty years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. he doesn't get hurt every time. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess maybe my thought to transition to do a little a little fun transition here is that maybe um, if there was another heel that you recently elevated, perhaps at your last pay-per-view, <laughs> um, maybe it would have been a good idea to move him into a feud with MJF and have him win the belt while he is arguably at his his zenith as a character on this show, uh, as opposed to putting him in a, a tournament for an indiscriminate amount of belts that no one cares about. Who are you talking about? Uh, the the uh, swerve. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. You may, you may remember. I don't know if you guys are history buffs, but uh, but <laughs> at the last pay per view, uh, they did a Texas Death Match with uh, with him and Hangman, uh, which is Hangman's match. Hangman has had like four of these matches. Never lost one before. Never lost. It's always a bloody, violent massacre, and then Hangman gets his win, including the last time he had one. He got a submission victory over John Moxley, who doesn't lose a lot and never taps out. So they've made this hangman's match. And then, and yes, there was run-ins and, and Prince Nana sh- shenanigans, but Swerve won the match. He broke a cinder block over hangman's head and then choked him out uh, and stood tall. He took an enormous amount of punishment uh, created some very memorable visuals in that match. And uh, he's incredibly popular with AEW's audience. He was already kind of as good of a heel as I think he is. We've sung his praises a lot over the last year of his ability to be really, really cool, but also still get like heat in yeah. a traditional pro wrestling heel sense. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's pretty much a baby face now. And I think, Maybe they know it because the first two weeks of this tournament, they put him against heels both times, um, which obviously you have to do those matches if they're in the same block at some point, but you didn't have to do them both in back-to-back weeks. And they chose to do that with him against Jay White and him against Jay Lethal. So uh, he's, he's never been more popular and probably will never be more popular, whether you try to keep him as a heel um, perhaps the, the only way you probably could considering how much people want to cheer him is to put him against someone like MJF that the crowd really loves. Um, 
uh, or just let him go babyface. You could also do that. Uh, although it seems strange to have him go babyface so quickly after he invaded a man's home and threatened his infant son. But you know, either way, it's a moot point because he's in this tournament. Um, and we'll we'll see where Swerve is in another month or two, I guess, and see if they can uh, keep that momentum alive or not. Well, well, well. We've spanned the globe. We've done a wonderful variety show here. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to touch on? No, I think that uh, that about covers it. All right, sounds good. Until next time, everyone. I'm and I'm Liam. We'll be back soon with more stories from the wrestling life. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Now, here are this week's bonus features. I had a, I had a question I wanted to ask you. Uh-oh. Yes? Um, which, which Nick do you like more? Do you like Nick Khan or do you like Nick from, uh, it's a wonderful life. The bartender <laughs> which Nick is better. Both have wonderful voices for reading you a bedtime story. Agreed. <laughs> um, both are extremely fun to, uh, impersonate. Agreed. Um, Really, if we're being honest, both have uh, completely dead soulless eyes. True. <laughs> that are one solid color. It feels like if you were like in a car accident or you were stabbed and you were laying on the pavement bleeding out, either one of them at any point might just walk up and stare deeply into your eyes but not help you. Yeah. But we have some evidence that um, that uh, Nick from uh, It's a Wonderful Life is a good guy. And he makes a donation at the end. Yeah. Of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And we also know he he uh, he does an important public service. He serves hard liquor for men who want to get drunk fast. <laughs> well, there but, you go. And Nick. But Nick Khan runs the World Wrestling Federation who puts smiles on faces. So an equally important public service. So it's really a push. <laughs> Big fan of any uh, device used to uh, just set up a bit. (laughs) I was like, it's Christmas time. We always do Nick from It's a Wonderful Life shtick. But I was like, how can I how can I come at it from a new angle this year? (laughs) Nick Khan versus Nick the bartender. (laughs) Uh, Nick Khan, a CEO. Nick, only a bartender, because uh, what's it called? Owns the bar. Martini owns the bar. <laughs> so. so Nick, Nick, uh, Nick, more of a working class man, whereas uh, whereas Nick Khan has worked his way up to the uh, to the very top of the food chain. In the flashback, it's Nick's place, right? Oh, that's true. Right in the yes, in the uh, in the in the George Bailey list world, right. Yes, it's it. Martinis becomes Nick. Yeah, I don't even remember who Martini is. He just, I yeah, he's just a Italian stereotype. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't remember what he, he just like when uh, he he throws he yells at the the guy who punches George Bailey to get out of his bar. That's right. Yeah. You come on, get out of here. <laughs> come on, George. I get you a cab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's his only contribution to the film as far as I can remember. And he and he brings in like alcohol at the very end as well. Oh, okay, right, right, right. An important character. So what happened without uh, George Bailey that uh Nick Nick could have been a small businessman? I, that's a great question. What did what did George Bailey do to Nick's? <laughs> where where did Nick, George Bailey sabotage Nick's career? And yeah. Why? <laughs> oh, I th- is it maybe he like did he did he give Martini like a good deal and a loan and that allowed Martini to spend money to open his own business or something? That has to be it. 
but that does that, ha- that has to be it yeah and i guess that in in uh in bedford falls there's only there's only room for one watering hole so nick Nick couldn't uh, set up his own business. He had to work at the one that was already there in town. I guess. But this implies that Nick would have uh, Nick would have been in, metaphorically in bed with Potter if uh, if it meant <laughs> opening his own business. He's a walk. It seems like Nick is a walk behind her. Is that an important <laughs> note? I think so. Yeah. Because yeah, he was he was clearly willing to to play ball with Potter in uh, in the in the nightmare Bedford Falls. <laughs> Whereas Nick Khan uh, strategically got rid of every member of the McMahon family <laughs> slowly, but surely the, uh, the estranged son-in-law is still there, That's but true. he's estranged right. and not blood. So it That's doesn't right. count. That's right. Ouch. You two pixies go. <laughs> what he said to Shane and Vince. <laughs> I try to keep on keeping on 